I just need to say at the beginning, I think it's a, it's a real joy when you have a song that has such deep truth in it and it's resonating inside of you and you're at that point in the song where you're like, I can't wait for that point of the song to like really go because I want to sing this out even louder and I don't know if you guys caught that in the Jesus paid it all, but what a, what a sweet, sweet arrangement and a way to sing truth back to God uh, that connects with us in the deepest way, so... What a joy it is to, to praise God and to see God, to know God, and to turn to his word uh, now in, uh, in the preaching of his word. I wanted to start by uh, looking at a simple quote, and uh, we can put that quote up here now. Um, <clears throat> it is by, uh, by Paul Tripp in a book called Relationships. It's really the subtitle. And uh, Tripp says that relationships are a mess worth making. Now, it's interesting because probably a lot of us uh, might hear that and go, uh, yeah, I think I know what you're talking about if it is what I think you're saying. Uh, relationships are messy. You look left and right and think about uh, the different um, times of your life when you have been probably hurt the most and involved probably what somebody else said or did or didn't do. And uh, we have a lot of reasons for why, why relationships are messy. Our sin nature makes us selfish. We are turned in on ourselves and looking to really what we can get out of things. And so when you turn everyone in on themselves, it doesn't bless other people. It actually ends up being a curse in those relationships um, because we're in a fallen earth, fallen into sin and having that sin nature. Uh, conflict comes easily and is rarely resolved completely. Unfortunately, we probably more than half the room here has come in this morning with unresolved conflict with somebody else. And it's a, it's a sore spot and it is messy. Uh, we look at relationships and see a lot of risk to them. A lot of uh, things that are required for us to give up for them to work well. And we look at it and say, uh, the risk seems to outweigh the return, so I won't invest. We seek our own comfort uh, above the needs of others, and uh, we weigh through how somebody else is uh, hurting or someone else's needs, and they're presented to us, or at least we find out about them. But when we really think on it, um, we look at our own comfort and go, I would rather um, have my own comfort than to be uncomfortable and see their needs met. Um, it is hard to forgive someone who has wronged you for a lot of reasons. Forgiveness is impossible. On our own, we need the Lord's grace to forgive others who have wronged us. It is natural for us to want to get them back or make things uh, even. And so relationships can be messy because of that, lack of forgiveness or wrongs done. Maybe it's uh, because of the loss of a loved one and, and someone that was near to you or, or is near to you that you fear losing and, and, uh, and you go, uh, this, is, this is so bitter in my heart. This is so difficult could be that uh, you look at other people and think that you are somewhat of an anomaly in your situation. You say, no one understands me. No one is going through what I'm going through. No one knows my particular set of struggles that I'm facing. And so relationships can be hard to um, invest in because you feel like you're alone. Uh, it could also sadly involve abuse and neglect. Uh, children or even as you grow and looking back on life or hearing about others who have been abused and, and you look at some of the, the messiest part of relationships. Wrongs done in a way that almost all we consider wrong and we understand how much hurt there can be. Uh, 
But as you think about it, he says relationships are a mess worth making. So why are they worth it? Why are they worth making relationships? And um, he goes on in his book called Relationships to, to talk about that a little bit. And if you just look at the scriptures just a tad, you'll start to see the other side of that. You'll see that God designed us for relationships. That's how we are wired, hardwired to relate. We are re- wired to relate to him, our creator, and to one another um, beside us, neighboring to one another. Now, so God is, if you look at who God is, he is a community within himself, Three distinct persons, Father, Son, and Spirit, in one essential deity, one God. Um, So he has made us after his likeness in his image, meaning that we reflect somewhat of his relating to himself within the Trinity. You also see early on in Genesis 2 that it was not good for man to be alone. And so one of those capstone pieces of creation was the woman. Uh, And she was created to be a helpmate to man in marriage. Uh, You look into the book of Ecclesiastes and you see Solomon reflecting with wisdom. And he says that two are better than one. A threefold cord is not quickly or easily broken. A braided cord is stronger. And he's talking about relationships, human relationships. Look into the New Testament. You see that the church is not one person but many It is a body with many members, like 1 Corinthians 12, 20 talks about, where every person who comes, no matter how different we are from one another, no matter how varied our needs are in life, we've been gifted by the Holy Spirit to meet each other's needs. And that's why the body works together as one under Christ, who is our head. The Holy Spirit has given each of you a gift. If you are saved in Jesus Christ, you have a gift, and that gift is to be used for the building up of others around you. And you know the other side of that. You've been blessed by other people who have served you and, and, and used their spiritual gifts, and you have been encouraged and blessed by them. People have souls. Another reason why relationships are worth it. People have souls. People are eternal. Awaiting either heaven or hell. And uh, at the top of it all, you can have a relationship with your God by grace through faith in the person and work of Jesus Christ. So relationships, while they are messy and all of us understand that and have experienced that because of the curse on mankind, our own sin and sinfulness are worth it because of the design of God originally and his redemptive purposes in relationships, both Godward and also around us toward others. So this morning, I want to talk practically with you about your approach to people. I want to talk with you about your view of others, your friendships. Um, This could hit really, I think, any age that's here. Young ones, do you have friends? Yeah, yeah, there you go. Um, and, uh, and, and older, all and everything in between. Uh, we relate to one another, uh, and we, we look at those relationships all the time. Um, I want to help you with the way you think about those relationships in, from the book of Proverbs. And so uh, we're going to turn to Proverbs chapter 18, and on the title slide, you might have seen it, my, and at the top of your paper, I'm talking about biblical peopling. I know, don't throw stones. I'm just throwing a word in there that uh, is probably not the uh, way it should be used. But, but I'm just talking very generally, broadly, about how you relate to people. So I'm calling it peopling. Okay, so how are you peopling lately? Uh, that's what we're going to be talking about. 
Um, and, and I think that as we turn to the book of Proverbs and open it up and consider how you relate to other people um, and how you love one another like we're called to above all other things in the Bible, not just the New Testament, I think that some of you will be uh, greatly convicted and challenged and realize that there needs to be a lot of rewiring of the way that you think about people and relationships. Maybe some of you have made lifelong bad habits about how to relate to people and your, and your sense of relating to one another. Um, and, and there can be some corrective things here I think will help and will help you start to begin to address those, those habits and those thought patterns and those ways of relating and begin to wire them according to what God's calling us to. I think some of you will be greatly encouraged uh, by looking at the scriptures and seeing God's design for people and peopling and how to relate to one another. And, and you will see how beautiful and wonderful it is that God has created it that way. And you are committed to it. You're not perfect, but you're being perfected and you are, you're laboring at this and it's a labor of love. You desire to love people better and you're finding uh, new and greater ways to do that. I think you'll be affirmed in a lot of things. So I want to just talk with you about Proverbs for a second because we're really only covering two verses this morning. The first and last verse of Proverbs 18. This has been my choice to do that, to cover those two verses. But to give you a picture of the book of Proverbs, it's something that um, I've taught through in our young adults ministry. It's a book that I have read my entire life as a Christian, and it's one that uh, um, I have treasured dearly. And I'm sure many, many of you have as well. Um, and I think there's a slide. Yes, perfect. Okay, so here is kind of a, a big picture of the book of Proverbs. And uh, your, your thinking about Proverbs uh, is, is helpful to kind of think about it in, in almost like sections or chunks. And the intro, uh, the first, really the first seven verses is kind of like the introduction to the book. Um, but it's almost kind of like an introduction to the introduction. Um, it's kind of how books of the Bible are written sometimes. So the first nine chapters uh, is really the formal and full-sized introduction to the book. If you've read Proverbs before, you'll notice that there's kind of a style change after chapter nine. When you get to chapter 10, verse 1, uh, what does it say? The first thing uh, it says is the Proverbs of Solomon. So, so I just want to orient you a little bit with the book and say that those Proverbs that you've probably heard quoted or you've quoted yourself or you've memorized, you tuck into the pocket of your heart and mind and, and you've pulled out from time to time to repeat to yourself or share with someone else. Uh, those don't start until chapter 10, verse 1 and following. So it's a compilation of all these, these uh, what are they, the pithy, poetic, practical sayings of wisdom from God for people in, in all of life, in every different kind of stage of life, in every different place, in the marketplace, business, uh, home, family, uh, relationships, speech, anger, uh, all these different topics. And there are these one-liners, uh, really two-liners, if you're going to look at the Hebrew poetry in there, there are these two-liners uh, that come at you in every verse. Um, but really, the chapters 1 through 9 is Solomon trying to get the ear of the one who is needing wisdom. So parents, you've probably thought about these first nine chapters in relationship to your kids. Or maybe you're a mentor and you m mentor someone, disciple someone. Uh, maybe you have some kind of spiritual parenting role that you play in someone's life. And the first nine chapters are going to be almost like these little sermons. They're short sermons of, of multiple verses that are appeals and trying to get the person who has an ear to actually use it in a spiritual way. 
And so that's what the book of Proverbs um, does at the beginning. Then you get to chapter 10, and you have all of this wisdom come at you, boom, 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 every verse, and it fills out for you really the rest of the book, and the conclusion has uh, some words from some other wise uh, people that, that are included as well. Now, probably the most important thing I want to say before we look at our verses has to do with the motto of the book, the motto of the book. You may know this already, but it is uh, certainly important and worth giving just a couple minutes to. It's chapter 1, verse 7, and chapter 9, verse 10, they almost say the same thing, but you need to catch uh, what is really the key to unlocking all the wisdom found in this book. It's almost kind of like this morning we walk up on Proverbs. It's a treasure chest filled with useful wisdom in life, and it will make your life rich, but you lack the key. And so you can carry the box around with you, but it's only going to do you so good to, uh, you know, use it as a stepping stool. Um, but there's so much inside of it, and you won't be able to access it unless you understand the motto, which is Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7, and chapter 9, verse 10. 1, 7 says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Then you look at chapter 9, verse 10, almost kind of in a way closing out this extended intro before chapter 10 starts. And he says this, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. So you're faced with this theme of the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the key to unlocking the, the wisdom of this book and being able to apply it in the right way. If you don't, let me say it this way, if you don't have a fear of the Lord, you will not live biblically wise. You will not put these things into practice the right way. You will look at them as maybe, oh yeah, I know that they're right things to do, or you'll look at them as like duties that I have to do, or uh, you'll struggle with some of them, you'll argue about some of them, but until you have the fear of the Lord, then you understand all the treasure of this chest. The fear of the Lord involves recognizing God, who he is, and keeping him in first place, highest in first place. It's recognizing that, that God is the creator, and you're not. You are the created. You're the creature. And so fear of the Lord is an understanding that, God, you are the one that calls the shots. You're the one that's made my life. You're the one who is creator and judge and sustainer and uh, author of all life. It's, a, it's, it's really trembling before him in his right position that he owns and, and, and deserves. The fear of the Lord also recognizes that a holy God can't tolerate our sin. Several times you see in the book of Proverbs, the fear of the Lord is the hatred of evil. The hatred of evil. So you're learning, okay, this God who is creator and above me and author over me, has authority over me, he hates and despises what is wrong, sin. And so the fear of the Lord recognizes that a holy God can't tolerate sin and it is more than that. It is a recognition. This fear of the Lord is a recognition that if it weren't for God's mercy showed to us, then we would be utterly cut off, wiped out, and put away from him. And so the fear of the Lord is not a, a fear trembling that he's going to crush me because I'm a sinner. No, fear of the Lord is a fear and a trembling of a God who has every right to smash you for your sin, but who chooses to instead smash his son. 
and there's mercy and forgiveness, and we're still living, and we're finding grace upon grace and mercy upon mercy. And so the fear of the Lord is not something to just look at God and go, oh, he's forgiven me. It's cool. I can live how I want. No, the fear of the Lord is a right recognition of who God is, the place that he is in our life, how he looks at sin, how he needs to treat sin, our understanding and admission of that. And when he is going to deal with sin, he's going to deal with it righteously and just. And it involves what he does with his son and sending his son to die in our place. That is a place, it's almost like uh, almost being hit by a train or by a car. And then afterwards going, whoa, that was a close call. Like that's a little bit of what the fear of the Lord is like. Always. You're like always in this, that was a close call moment. You sin and you're not struck down for it. That was a close call, right? God is merciful to us because of how he doesn't treat us according to our sin, but because of how he treats his son according to our sin. So the fear of the Lord is really the gospel. If you look at God's word and you keep tracking it and studying the fear of the Lord concept, that phrase, or to fear God, um, it really parallels the New Testament concept of faith in Jesus Christ. Faith in Jesus Christ in the New Testament and following after his commands is really what this Old Testament fear of the Lord is about. Now, last thing I want to say, because if you found the key, you're ready to unlock, you're opening, what you're finding is biblical wisdom. Let me just give you a short and very helpful, I think, definition for wisdom. Wisdom is skillful living in the fear of God. That's it. Wisdom is skillful living in the fear of God. So if you're someone who is considered wise, you've learned certain skills for life. To live in your life and God's, on God's earth after God's ways because you're always before him. You're living as if he is right there before you and you know who he is. And you've given him first place, highest place. And so you are learning the skills of life according to his word and living in the fear of the Lord. And this is what uh, will be something that will be helpful for us as we're understanding how to make sense of the verses that we're going to read now. So we'll be looking uh, at Proverbs 18. So we're jumping into the heart of wisdom here and, and so much that is poured forth from Solomon and it's given to Solomon by God. We need to understand this. This is not just... Uh, man's wisdom and a kind of, hey, try this one out, or maybe this one will fit, or uh, consider this uh, advice. Uh, No, this is much more than advice that you can take or leave. This is wisdom that you absolutely need because it will lead you to life and blessing in life. And I'm hoping that as we look at our two verses, um, we're really going to try to, I'm going to show you these two verses because I think they show us the broad spectrum of our social interaction and the way that we relate to one another, as I mentioned, peopling. Um, so hopefully those who are uh, introverts won't feel left out. Uh, by the way, do we have any introverts here? Just show of hands. I like doing that because they rarely, rarely raise their hands. That's kind of funny. They're like, I'm not going to tell you. Like, uh, you need to earn that. Um, but uh, extroverts, raise your hands. Okay, you're a little more forward. Okay, uh, yeah. Um, and and I'm, I'm not going crazy about these terms. I could take or leave these terms. I just know that they're used type A, type B. There's a lot of other ways to refer to uh, these things. I'm just talking about there's people who are different, have different personalities. And uh, whether you're a wallflower or a social butterfly, 
right? Um, you, you could be someone who says, um, if I were to describe my personality, I would say I'm shy. I'm a shy guy or I'm a shy girl. Um, or you're someone who tends to live a little bit more outgoing. And uh, you're saying, I'm, a, I'm an outgoing person. Yeah, sure. Um, and you go for it. And you're, you're like loving peopling. You're like, yeah, tell me more about it. Let's go. Um, there, there's some of you who would say, I'm a little bit more reserved. Okay. Uh, and then some who are kind of like, I'm more relational. Um, and you're like, okay. Uh, and uh, and some, some might be a little more timid and some are a little more talkative. Uh, and, uh, and disclaimer, before we read these verses, I'm not elevating one personality type over another. All I'm doing is acknowledging that there is this kind of really beautiful array of the way that God has designed us, made us, even the way that we don't, all don't look like each other. That's just amazing for me to just stare at you. Uh, and then to think about our personalities and the way that he's made us inside, the way that our spirit animates our flesh and the way that we relate to people. There's such a broad array. I've never found one person who has the same exact personality of someone else. Some similarities, sure. But I just want to make that clear at the front. What we do want to do is look at who we are and look at how we relate to other people and not conform to another personality type, but to conform ourselves to Christ and his person. So now let's look at our verses. Proverbs 18, verse 1 says, Whoever isolates himself, seeks his own desire, he breaks out against all sound judgment. Verse 24, a man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Let's go back to verse 1 and start there. Your points here and your first points, and what I want to do is give you three wise pointers for peopling or interpersonal relationships in the fear of the Lord is, that, is this, introvert, don't isolate yourself. Introvert, don't isolate yourself from people. Um, and I think that this one is, uh, is really going to be um, probably pointed for a lot of us. Um, I think that uh, this has been something that I have thought about a lot and kind of seen the many forms of, of what this kind of shy personality has been like. Um, you, you've heard different words maybe uh, in, in reference to this, the introverted, the recluse, uh, the isolated, the loner, the hermit, lone wolf, uh, the withdrawn, the maverick, uh, as I said earlier, the wallflower, or somebody put it, the $3 bill. I'm not totally sure how that applies or what that means. But, um, but Solomon gives us a picture here of someone who is, who is purposefully disassociating himself or herself from others. Purposefully disassociating himself or herself from others. It could be from society or from certain relationships or all relationships. And the scripture really, what it does here is I think it turns on the light behind the x-ray image of that person and shows a little bit of what those internal attitudes of the heart uh, really are. And so you get to see inside of the shy I know it makes you vulnerable, um, and you're kind of like, oh, no, I don't want to be. This is the exact reason why I'm introverted right now, because you're talking about what's in my heart, and I don't want to, uh, you know, to live maybe kind of like in that exposed way or, or way for people to know uh, deep things about me. Uh, but there are, and, and there are countless reasons why you might uh, cut yourself 
off from people. All of you are probably thinking about people uh, now that you're kind of like, well, um, there are certain types of people that I do not relate well to. Um, and I have cut myself off from them. We may not even think about how often we do this, but we even like steer clear intentionally from people and certain people because of certain reasons. Uh, it could be that there is just a, a general sense of I am backing out of all kind of sociable settings because uh, this reason or that reason or another. And I want to say this uh, at the outset, that there are times uh, when, I, when you would isolate yourself from certain people or certain settings uh, for good reason and for biblical reason. In fact, uh, not too far from, uh, from here in chapter 13, verse 20, uh, it gives one of those reasons why you would separate from another. Uh, Proverbs 13, 20, it says, Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but a companion of fools will suffer harm. So one reason that you would isolate yourself or distance yourself or separate yourself from somebody else is if they are a fool. If there's someone who lives in such a way that says, I don't live in your world or in God's world God's way. I don't believe in God. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. So if you live with or are close to someone like that, uh, they could be a harmful influence. That's what Proverbs 13, 20 is saying. And there's several other verses in the Bible that affirm this kind of evaluation of those influences in your life. Parents are always talking about this with their kids, saying, uh, honey, uh, is that someone you should be hanging around with, right? Um, and you're looking at work, and there are people that have water cooler discussions about certain things. You're kind of like, man, I feel like I need to walk away right now um, because of what they're talking about. Um, or there's someone who just bends your ear all the time and they're gossiping and they're slandering and you're just like, I just, I can't keep associating with them in that sin that way. So, so there is wisdom and there actually is counsel to separate from those who walk in sin and those who love their sin um, and those who have a potentially an influence on the church or on you in a way that is going to drag you down or, or hurt you spiritually. So there's several other verses that you could point to in the New Testament, um, even verses that talk about church discipline. Um, if you have a, a little bit of leaven, a little bit of influence of that person who is living in sin, but in the church and, and they're spreading their false teaching or their false living in a way that it starts to infect other people, that needs to be dealt with. That needs to be dealt with. So there is that, um, there, there is uh, another one here if you're thinking kind of like, well, I just like quiet time. <laughs> I'm sorry, but uh, my kids are a little crazy, uh, work is a little uh, wild, and, uh, and I just love having quiet time with the Lord. You know what? You can do that. Isolate yourself for, this, for the purpose of spending time with the Lord. Uh, Luke 5, 15 um, and 16 talks about how Jesus had one of his probably busiest days around a lot of people. He was doing tons of peopling, all right? And it says this, now even more, uh, the report about him went abroad and great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. Lots of sick people wanted to press around him. Um, you're kind of wondering, well, that would be a good time to just kind of bounce because you're like, I don't want to get sick from these people or I don't want to be around all these people that are just kind of clamoring for help. And, um, and, uh, and then it says, but he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. And you're kind of like, wow, okay, so here is a time where Jesus does actually retreat from or withdraw from, separate even from people for a time for a purpose. 
but you're understanding a little bit more of the heart of Christ and the heart of what this, song, uh, this proverb is saying is that he never separated in a selfish way. He was giving of himself constantly to these people. That's why they were coming to him, because he was giving and giving and giving of himself. But he made a priority of guarding that time with his heavenly father in prayer, and that is something that is valuable. There are other things that could be shared as far as legitimate health concerns, uh, another time to isolate. Again, that's going to be ruled by this law of love for your neighbor um, and working that all out. Um, but back to our verse, whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. Uh, there could be a lot of different things going on in your mind and heart, but here uh, he's pointing out something about the heart level. Not just the behaviors on the surface, but what's going on underneath the surface and what's going on in that, that place where desires are, which is the heart. And it says that he's isolating himself in order to do something, and that is to seek his own desire. You might have thought to yourself, man, this is a big problem. It's just easier for me to handle the problem on my own. I'm, I'm isolating from this person. Uh, or you might think to yourself, man, whenever they get involved, they just make things worse. Or I'm safer without uh, others running what I have going on, and so I'm going to pull out. Or some of you might have come out of uh, COVID lockdown saying, man, I actually realized that uh, I liked lockdowns. <laughs> I was happier there, um, and, uh, and I didn't have to people so much. <laughs> you know, and there, there weren't all these people just making my life hard. That's interesting. Some of you might have said that. I probably said it a couple of times. I think we enjoyed certain elements of a break and a, and a, and a reprieve, but that's not how God has designed things. And the church is hurt when it can't meet. There's a lot of other things you could say to, to kind of show that this is the reasons we give for why we isolate ourselves can be coming from this selfish heart. If you think about it, you're trying to control the influences and the people in your life. You think about it as kind of like a, a, a picture of a kingdom, okay? Your life is a, a kingdom. You are the king or the queen of that kingdom, and you, you put up walls as defenses. You have certain gates so that you allow certain people in and out uh, when they're supposed to come and go. Uh, you have sentries watching um, helping you understand when a threat is coming to you. Uh, you have rules and laws that govern everything within your kingdom uh, so that people don't disrupt those laws or make it hard for you and your people, theoretically. But just thinking about your life that way, and we can kind of start to clamp down on our kingdom and, and, and define what our little kingdom is all about. And so we push people out. We show them the door. We help them realize, nope, walls have gone up. You're my enemy. You're on the outside. You're not welcome in my life. And we find out that we become really good at this. We become really good at this. But what we're doing is creating a rival kingdom against the kingdom of God. And we're setting ourselves up as the king in place of who belongs to be there in our life, which is God. And God often allows things to come into our kingdoms, our little kingdoms, in such a way that we view them as enemies or as something that is maybe a threat to our well-being, but he's using it for something greater and something that is much bigger in his kingdom purposes. And, and so there is a, a kind of a rival uh, of, of reigning 
desires in our heart and where there's a rivalry going on there between us and God. That's what the person who isolates himself is doing, seeking his own desire. In other words, not, think, not seeking God's desire. It's backwards. Isolation is backwards in the kingdom of God. When we push God off his throne and say, I like to associate with people this way, it makes more sense then what we end up doing is thinking that we are more wise than God about how we relate to people. We think we know better than God. And then what ends up happening is that we don't become safer. Let me give you a warning. You don't end up becoming more secure and safe and guarded. You actually become more vulnerable. You actually become more attacked. And you actually come to ruin it says this in the second part of the verse, uh, he breaks out against all sound judgment. Uh, the Hebrew words to, to break out against are literally to bare your teeth or to start a quarrel with. And this teeth bearing is, is really picking your fight with an all-wise God, like we're talking about. Looking at, looking at God's design for our life and our relationships and snarling at it, saying, no, don't like him. no. I don't want that. I don't want things this way. And if we live with self as our greatest and ruling desire and uh, test of who comes and who goes, rather than, than God as the one who allows and, 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 uh, and, and directs our life in relationships, um, then we're headed towards something that will be a war against God and it will not bring peace. You only find peace in relationships when you stop battling with God about those relationships. And when you trust the Lord and admit that he is sovereign, you fear the Lord and you allow things like people who are stinky, smelly, sick into your life. And, and when you go toward other people to love them, even when it's hard, and you, you, you abandon your little kingdom and you live in his, and you start to realize that there is actual peace there in places that you never thought you would have peace because you're going about it God's way, not yours. But sadly, too many of us people in the wrong way and go about relating in a backwards way in God's kingdom. So whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. The isolationist may get what he wants in a moment and may like what it brings him or her at the time, but that's just like the drug addict, the drunkard, or even the person who commits suicide. You looked for an out, and you were wanting some relief, and so you did what your heart told you to do. It was not what God told you to do, and it's going the wrong direction. It's going away from sound wisdom, which then goes into death, not life. There is a quote here uh, by Cliff McManus from Christian Living Beyond Belief, um, summarizing what I think is in this verse that goes well with this sound wisdom to involve and invest in relationships. He says, a significant example of being made in God's image and after his likeness is that humans were created for fellowship. We need community and companionship. Humans cannot live in isolation. We are inherently social beings, just as God has eternally existed as Three distinct persons who have enjoyed heavenly fellowship and intimacy with one another. God's design for people is that they live in fellowship and intimacy with others 
as well. So for all the times that you've thought or you've heard somebody say, uh, I'm, I'm done peopling. I actually saw a shirt uh, at a store in town here that said, I'm done peopling. And it had a cool mountain scape, you know, kind of underneath it. And I was kind of like, ah, that's so funny. And it's so unbiblical at the same time. I bought it um, because I wanted to make a mockery of the, uh, the, the lie of it. So I could you know, have it like as be a you know, talking piece. Um, and I get going into the mountains, going out to the deer stand, having a break from work and life is, is okay in moderation. But if your thinking, if your heart and desire is to escape from what God has called you right into, and you're saying, I'm, I'm done peopling, be careful. You're going the wrong direction. It's going to get harder that way. And I've had people tell me that. I was sharing the gospel with a guy at a, uh, after a soccer game and, uh, here in, in, uh, in Houston, and, and, uh, and I, I was asking him about things, and we started talking about spiritual things, and he was older than me, and, um, and, and I, he st- he, I mentioned church, and he kind of didn't say anything, so I kind of asked a little bit more about uh, if he goes anywhere, and he said, yeah, I used to go, but, but now, you know, I, I really like to think that going out into in creation and just going out. And, uh, and just getting out there before the sun comes up, being alone, that's my church. And I just, I just was like, kind of thinking, like, well, I know what he's talking about, and I can relate to him in one sense and go, I love God's creation. I did actually affirm those things. And I told him, like, yeah, God's, God's creation is beautiful. It does show us so much about who he is. I had just met him, so I didn't really, like, go hard and confront him about all that other stuff. That, that really, that kind of thinking is dangerous. And it does, is not church. That is not relationships. That is not how we people. But we're going to look at the other end of the spectrum here and uh, verse 24 and, and, uh, and maybe kind of look at some, some balance. I look at verse 24. It says, a man of many companions may come to ruin. I'm going to stop there. Just look at the first part of verse 24. And uh, we're going to look at the other side now just for a couple minutes. But extrovert, don't find your identity in people. Now, here's, here's another point that kind of maybe balances this out. And if you're kind of like, well, yeah, I understand what you're talking about with the loner or the person who likes to be alone. They're more shy. I, you know, I haven't totally you know, identified with that as much. Um, I love being around people. Um, you guys know what FOMO is, right? Yeah, some of you, the fear of missing out. Yeah, uh, some of you know, and some of you don't know. So you needed to know what that meant. I'm just kidding. Uh, but yeah, this FOMO thing is something that's just been talked about. It's not like an actual disease in, uh, you know, in psychology or something, but it's, um, but it's the fear of missing out. It's kind of like, wait, are my friends doing something that I didn't know about? Are, it, did something happen? And it's you know, definitely charged by social media and other things where you're kind of wanting to know the latest things that have happened. And, and uh, you almost live in, in a kind of way of like, I don't want to be left out. I don't want to be left in the dark as far as what's going on. Um, it could also probably be applied uh, to the way that we watch the news or hear about current events, which none of us could keep up with last year. Um, and uh, and there, there's just a lot there. Well, this is just one sampling, one way of talking about uh, who, uh, who this type of person is that, that maybe finds their identity in people. The contrast is here from verse 1, uh, and, uh, and, and it talks about someone who doesn't have no friends, but someone who has too many friends. You're kind of like, whoa, okay, wait a minute. So how many friends should I have? You know, well, that's a good question. Let's talk about that. Um, and so a man of many companions may come to ruin. You're like, wait, well, you just told me that ruin was going to come if I separated myself from people. 
um, and, uh, and that's going to be bad. But now if I surround myself by people and I run into relationships and go headlong into that, you're telling me there's ruin there too? Yes, I am. Um, and so verse 24 is, a, is a, a beautiful verse, one that you should memorize and you should uh, recall and take with you because it, it has a great uh, way of paralleling itself. Look at the first part of the verse. A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Um, so here it's uh, clearly ruling out and sticking with that loner mentality. But as you think about people, this is helping us see, a verse like this is helping us see that it really is more about the quality of the relationship rather than the quantity of relationships. And some of us think that a quantity of friends is good and is going to help us. And, and we think about how many people we could have around us. And, and there's a, probably a lot of uh, things that could motivate us to think that way. Um, I think there was a time in my life where the lights really went on uh, in this way, and I thought this was going the transition for, for me between junior high and high school. I went to public, high, uh, public junior high, uh, and, and I was very insecure, as most of us were at that time, and just thinking about kind of like, uh, man, how should I dress? Uh, what kind of like group do I hang out with? And I'm going to high school next year. Oh my goodness. I don't know who I'm going to stand next to at recess. You know, we didn't call it recess. It was like break, right? You know, and at lunch, I don't know which quad, you know, building area I'm going to stand with people. I mean, that was like everything to me. You know, I was like, well, I'm not with those people for obvious reasons. I'm not with them because they wouldn't want me there. You know, I'm not with them for those reasons. You know, I'm like socially trying to figure out where I fit in. And, uh, and so I just did what was easiest. I went with the friends that I had been with in junior high, and so I stood around with a bunch of dorky freshmen. Uh, and, uh, and we just stood in a circle, kicked cans back and forth, and made fun of people walking by and did you know, junior hiree things uh, in high school. Um, and, uh, and, but, I, but I had given my life to Christ, and so I always had in the back of my head, man, I'm not, I'm not living for the Lord. Uh, if I'm going to live for the Lord, I need to change my friend group, uh, the way I relate to people. And it wasn't until the end of my freshman year, it took me a little while to, to really do something about it. But I remember kind of thinking, I like having people around me. I like making fun of people and them laughing at my jokes because it made me feel good. I probably found my identity in relating to people uh, in a way. And, and then, I, then I separated from that group. And I was like, okay, I'm, I'm going to leave this friend group behind. I didn't announce my departure. Um, I just, at the end of the year, went around to every little group that I knew had some kid from my youth group at church and told them, hey, I'm having a hard time being a Christian at public school. I don't know about you, but I'm going to be hanging out over here with this one other guy that I know is a Christian. If you want to join me, you can, you know, and, and so nobody really came. Uh, it was just me and my buddy for a while, um, and, uh, and it was small. It was a very small-sized group. But you know what happened? I hope even kids and youth are listening too. But I, but I, I spent time uh, that sophomore year working out a whole lot of bad habits because I would joke around my buddy who I go to church with, and it was an offensive joke. It was degrading or it was perverted or something. And, and they would kind of like laugh, but in a way that was kind of like, eh, like shameful. And I'd go, oh, yeah, that's right. This is, this is new company. I don't, I don't get a sense of like, yeah, keep doing it. That's funny. Yeah, get them again, you know. And, uh, and, I, and so I had to really kind of evaluate, man, how am I relating to people? And it was healthy for me to be around different friends, different influences. 
Well, over my sophomore, junior, and senior year of high school, what happened is the Lord just kind of slowly let a little trickle come of other kids from our youth group and kids outside of our youth group, other churches that were, that were also Christians. And, uh, you know, we weren't, you know, this holy club or anything, and, um, but we ended up being this group of a pretty good size where um, my behavior, my speech changed radically. Um, because I knew the people I was around um, was, uh, it was just the wrong quality of people to be around. Um, they were not, they were fools. They were not wise uh, in the way that Proverbs talks. So that was, that was a major time that changed for me. And, uh, and looking uh, again here at our verse, a man of many companions may come to ruin. We're, we're talking of the person um, who finds such fulfillment and satisfaction in others. Uh, that's my friend group. That, this is what I get when I go there. This is how I uh, you know, relate to them, and this is how I like to be um, identified. It, this is who I am. Um, there's a lot of other ways to describe friends like these. Um, these, are, these are friends who are not true friends. That's why you look at the second part of the verse and it says, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a, bro- than a brother. The implication is that all these companions that you have are not going to stick there with you. They're going to bounce as soon as it get hard. What do we call that? Fair weather friends. Right? If the weather's good, I'll be there by your side. As soon as it gets hard, I'm out of here. See ya. And then they've left you. Um, we have mere acquaintances, right? People that you would say, oh, I know about them, or we kind of associate, you know, um, shallow friends, superficial friends, these worldly friends, or, or maybe you think kind of like online, because that's such a big part of who we are socially, and, and you talk about your fan base or your followers, how many followers do you have, or how many friends do you have in your friend count, or how many likes do you get, or hearts do you see pop up, you know, um, and, uh, and then we, we start to look at that as a gauge for how, you know, worth it we are, or how together we are, um, and uh, it can be a very slippery slope. So what's, what's motivating this kind of surround yourself with as many people as you can kind of thinking? You're after something that is good, relationship, but you're going after it again in the wrong way. You're going after it again in the wrong way. You're driven by some kind of other motivation than God's. And it is a, again, selfish motivation. You don't run away from other people to find peace and security and identity. You run toward people to find peace and, and security and identity. Um, and you're looking for other people to complete you. You're looking for other people to give you something that you're supposed to be finding in Christ alone. And so, so you run into those people and you're looking for someone to just give you all these attaboys or affirmation and, and approval when really you should be seeking the approval of God in Christ and that should be enough to know that you're affirmed in him and who you are in Christ. And so it becomes this search for your identity in people. The party scene seems attractive. I know that. I spend a lot of time with teenagers and 20-somethings. And you almost kind of think, well, if there's a big gathering, a lot of people are laughing, there's loud music, then something good or fun and worthwhile is happening there, right? That's what you tend to think. You grow up thinking that way. Oh, that's where the real fun is at. And so I need to be a part of that or else I'm, again, missing out. Um, The promise of popularity uh, seems too good to pass up. Man, if I, had, if I had more friends and more people in my life, then they could give me something. I'll find something there that's going to be so valuable to me that it will almost kind of, you're not going to say it this way, it will be my salvation. It will be all that I want in life. It will be your idol. It will be the thing you worship. You know, it feels good to be liked by others. You all know that. It feels good to have a lot of people like you. 
and maybe say only positive things to you and not to hear negative things. And that, that kind of can maybe build you up a little bit. Even if you don't know those people very well and they keep affirming you and saying, yes, good, like, keep doing, send more, or whatever that is. We got to be careful about the motivation of those who surround themselves by many companions. You may come to ruin. There is a, a, a guy who I had a good relationship with at my old church in California. Uh, he was a, a 20-year-old or a 19-year-old. Um, his name is James. Um, just use his first name, but uh, James was a guy who came out of a very rough scene um, and uh, crime, and, and uh, he was in and out of jail, um, and, and he looked the part. Um, he had uh, gang members as friends, because that's how it works. These are the, the family members, really, of your life, and, um, and it was rough, but he became born again. He became saved, and, and, uh, and he was saved out of uh, drugs and all kinds of really, really rough uh, life and influences. And, uh, and James started coming to church. He started learning the Bible. He started loving the Lord. He started changing. This man, he looked rough on the outside, but he was tender and soft and moldable to God's hands on the inside. He was a joy to get to know. People would probably be a little scared of him if you looked at him. Um, but I, I loved spending time with James. He was so teachable. He was so humble. And he was so hungry. Well, James had a, a time, just like we all do, where uh, he lapsed back into some old ways and he spent some time with some old friends. They came over. He hung out. He wasn't thinking in his right mind, right judgment then. And there was a temptation that was put before him that he didn't want to pass up because it was something that he had used to enjoy in his previous life. Um, and it had to do with doing drugs. So it was heroin or something very, um, very harmful to the, to the mind. And, um, and he overdosed. And, uh, and all of his friends just left. And he essentially became vegetative by the morning. His brain had fried. Um, he, there was no return for him uh, mentally. Um, so, so he had these old friends that he thought were friends. And, and, and even though he had become a believer, and that was the challenge, a little bit of a paradox there for us as believers to think about what happened with that, was uh, he had made a, a foolish choice. He came back around these wrong influences. They had influenced him in such a way that was to his harm actually, to his death. He didn't die until a year later, but he stayed in a bed, and his body just locked up. And he slowly, I believe, went to be with the Lord. So doing his memorial service was very challenging to know what to say, um, but in a way it wasn't. You just point to the gospel that James believed and point to hope in the Lord. But I share that because uh, there are these friends who we think are our friends, but they're just companions. They'll leave when it gets hard. And they'll leave you to your own hurt, to your own ruin. Let's look at the last one. And uh, this last point is where we'll end. Um, converts, so guess what? This includes all Christians. That's why I'm using it, uh, that word. So converts in, do enjoy intimacy with the right people. We'll finish out verse 24 here uh, and look at the quality friend. The quality friend. Not just uh, no friends, not just all friends all the time, but a true friend. And here we see it says there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. So a quality friend remains. While these other companions uh, lead you to ruin, super, superficial friends lead to ruin, true friends remain. They're around always. They're loyal. They're faithful. And what we see here 
is a beautiful picture of right peopling, right relating to one another. So I think the wisdom here in this book, in, the, in this chapter, book ending this chapter, verse, uh, verse 1 and 24, is wisdom saying, the fewer, the deeper, the more trustworthy friendships, the more secure your life will be. The fewer, the deeper, the more trustworthy friendships, the more secure life will be. And you think about the, the day and age we're in with all of technology and how, uh, what we're kind of looking for with technology, with all of technology and what it does. It actually is pushing us. Um, we think it's pushing us toward people, but what is it doing? It's actually separating us from people. Uh, all, all of technology, if you look at it, it's all kind of designed to, it's separating you. You put things on your ears, so now you can't walk up to talk to somebody. You know, you, you're looking down at something, so your eyes can't be eye to eye with actual people's eyes. You know, there's all these different ways that, that technology can actually lead us to isolate. And what we're thinking in that, and I've thought this a lot too, is that, oh, I'm, I'm social, I'm relating to people, and, uh, and I think I'm doing that better because of technology. But it could be that through all of our online social interaction, it could be that this advent and advancement of social media could be replacing the genuineness of our friendships. It could just be that you have a veneer, uh, like a surface look of like, oh, you relate well to other people. Um, it could just be an image. It could be a front but is there real depth there in those relationships? And that's what's convicting to think about. Are you using your technology? Technology is not bad. But are you using your technology to enhance the genuineness of your relationships? Be careful for how it can be used the opposite way, where it actually turns friendships more superficial. And actually more teenagers and, and, and young people become more lonely when they add more social interaction online. That's really sad to see, but it's something we need to say here and, and recognize. Uh, to close, looking at how Scripture talks about a true friend, there was a true friend who sticks closer than a brother, one who is loyal, one who is steadfast and loving. Like chapter 17, verse 17 says, a friend loves at all times, a brother is born for adversity. Uh, you, have a, you have a friend who is truthful. They're going to speak the truth to you with their honest counsel, that's going to be the sweet friend, someone who speaks to you something that is true and truthful. Um, if you at chapter 27, verse 17, uh, this is uh, mutually refining. Iron sharpens iron, and one man sharpens another. And so you see this, this true friend is something that's similar to like what David and Jonathan had, uh, a friendship that was, that was truly deep, intimate, and intimate in the right ways. And I encourage you guys to evaluate your friendships. Think about the relationships that you have. Are you a superficial saint? Are you someone who's a Christian that doesn't really let other people in on your life? Or do you relate to people in such a way that they actually truly know who you are? Some of you may not be known to anybody in here because you're living on the surface and you are quite content with that. But a true friend goes much deeper. A true friend is someone that you relate to on a much deeper level. And there's not many of those. And in fact, in your lifetime, you'll have a short list of people who will be that to you. But they will be the most satisfying relationships, the, the best friends that you will have. The people that when, when it gets tough and difficult, they're there, not gone. Um, when you're underwater from 
a pipe, right? Or when you are, you know, stranded at your home and wondering how you're going to get something and, and they show, show up unannounced. When they text you and ask you if you need help, when they're willing to drop whatever they're doing to come help you in your time of need, that's a true friend. That's a true friend. They will stick with you. They will stick close to you. There is an intimacy to that friend that's even closer than a brother. I have two brothers. I'm very close with them. They still live in California, so I'm not that close to them anymore, uh, geographically speaking. But I'm absolutely close to them. I think they're actually both of these things. They're a true friend and a brother. But I'm saying that I've met people here that have become close to me like my actual blood brothers and more so. And that is the beauty of the church and what God has designed. So I think this is a timely message for us to be thinking about how we've kind of come out of this past year and how we've had a lot of these, uh, you know, signs that have been put up in front of us of how separating is best and these things. And there are wise things to consider. But I hope that we have come through a lot realizing how important it is to relate the right way. Uh, Let me pray and close this out this morning. God, thank you so much for showing to us who that true friend is. You have shown us your son, Jesus Christ. We are no longer enemies of you fighting from our little kingdoms, but we have come into this place of faith in you where we have torn down every rock of our little kingdom, kicking them aside and saying, that was foolish for me to construct my relationships that way, and we've looked to you. So here we are no longer enemies of you, but we are friends of you, and we have this true friend in Jesus. Lord, you were there when Stephen was being stoned. He could, he could look up into heaven and see you close by his side. We know you are walking with us through, through shadowy valleys and difficult times in life. You are like that shepherd who never leaves us and leads us through all the hard we are going through. And so, Lord, help us to just catch this morning the wisdom in this proverb that shows to us the value of true friends, right friends, the people that should be in our lives and we should be living toward them, how we should be relating with them. And Lord, that you would show us that that leads to peace and not ruin. And show us the wrong ways of relating, Lord, so that we can be guarded from ruin and guarded from wrong relating to one another and help us ultimately to love one another as we have been loved in you. Lord, I'm thankful that you didn't isolate yourself from us. I'm thankful that you sent your son to us. And I'm thankful that when things got difficult, you did not leave, but that you remained. I'm thankful that you are that friend that we know that we can look to and talk to and walk with, and you will never leave, never forsake us. Even our best friends in this life will be limited, but not you. And with you, we have a best friend. So I pray that those who are here, who are hearing and listening, they will understand that friendship with Jesus. And if they don't know that friendship with you, Lord, that they would turn their heart from being an enemy against you to submitting their life to you and being a friend of God found by you. God, may we relate uh, together as a church well in front of this watching world that looks and sees a new people, a redeemed people, a people who are loving in the love that you have shown to us. So in your name we pray, amen.